Hello. 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 Good evening. Um, yeah, welcome everyone. Uh, hey, I just saw somebody switch places. Everyone switch places. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the domino effect. Um, yeah, so good evening. And I usually go from uh, up to down. So um, let's say hi to our first guest, uh, Luke from Blue Hour. Yeah, hello. How are you, man? Hello, everyone. Yeah, good, thank you. And yourself? Uh, I'm good, yeah. Uh, just had a power nap, but uh, <laughs> I'm alive. Um, and uh, we're also joined by Petra slash Peach Life, uh, joining us from uh, Copenhagen. Hey. How are you? I'm good. I, uh, I didn't sleep all day. I slept all night, actually. <laughs> Regular hours. Yes. Are you a morning person or a, a night I am, person? I'm very much a morning person. Yeah. Okay. I get up like at 6, 6.30. I can't sleep anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least when the clubs are not open. When the clubs are open, I tend to sleep a little bit longer. Okay. Uh, isn't that conflicting with uh, sort of the nightlife uh, uh, times when you are touring or playing or? Mm, a little bit maybe, but I mean, yeah, I, that's also why I say when the clubs are open, I tend to sleep longer because, but now here when I have a long break from doing stuff like that, uh, I tend to go to bed you know, pretty early and then get up super early. Oh. Yeah, I like to have the mornings. So they're so quiet. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. Cool. Uh, and we're also joined by Sugar, also joining us from Copenhagen. Welcome. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I also had a long power nap, um, so I'm <laughs> fresh and ready for the chat. And uh, I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Uh, I also see a lot of people... Uh, uh, popping in our regular viewers and some people from watching this on Twitch, some of the Discord regulars. Hey, Robin! Uh, belated Hello. congratulations to Robin, by the way. It was it was his birthday uh, the other day. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, um, yeah. So everybody who's watching this, uh, if they have any questions related to uh or directed to us directly just don't don't hesitate and uh, drop them in the comments and we will uh, hopefully get into those uh um and uh yeah that's pretty much it all that's all the rules there are no rules <laughs> mm -hmm. so um yeah let's talk about power naps and uh <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> yeah i i to be honest i've i've uh, myself i've basically adopted a regular normal uh, um, early morning rhythm but um, uh, I do like to work at night mostly what about you Luke um, yeah I seem to kind of perk up a little bit in the latter part of the afternoon for sure and um, yeah I, nothing really happens much in the morning for me to be honest but um, yeah when it comes to the night everyone's sort of settling down they're finished with their days and that's kind of when I feel like things start to begin for me creatively. And yeah, I can work, you know, till pretty late, maybe three o'clock sometimes. Um, but yeah, it doesn't happen all the time. When I work on music, it's quite few and far between. But when I do, it's kind of, I can't put it down once I've picked it up. It has to kind of be done. Yeah. So, if that means I'm in the middle of the night and working through on on something, then that's the way it is. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I I always have the feeling that um, 
things are more quiet in my head when it's once people, you know, stop uh, buzzing around the city and and it gets quieter outside. Even though I don't really notice anything from outside, but still, mm. you know, uh, I like to just have a, a sort of like an autobahn feeling, if you know what I mean. Just everything is the same for for a few hours from midnight onwards, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, yeah. I tend to work quite well with, with that, you know. But um, if I have admin jobs, that's what I usually call them, you know, like archiving or recording things, finishing things. That's a, something that I I do better when it's daytime. Just, uh, you know, with yeah. a, a cup of coffee and, and, you know. Yeah, sure. Just a, a straight head. <laughs> <laughs> It actually changed quite a bit for me over the past years. A couple of years ago, I also preferred to to work at night. Definitely, I would go in the studio at midday, around I don't know five or six, and then work all through the night. But now, I don't know if it's something to do with COVID or it's, it's just changed for some reason. That um, that now I prefer a lot to work in the morning. I can work at night too, but. I definitely feel more focused, more clear-minded, and I can I can hear things better. I can hear when I'm just fucking fucking around, staying in the same loop forever, or if I'm actually getting progress. Um, if I work earlier in the day, and I I take I make better decisions faster. I think hmm. at the so moment more, at least. Yeah, yeah. So it's more efficient to work uh, early hours then. Definitely, yeah. I think. I think, um, and also um, me and Petra actually just made a new uh, duo project. And when we work also, we work uh, from 10 o'clock in the morning. <clears throat> and it's just super efficient and, and really creative. Also, it's like when your mind is all, not already filled up with with yeah. stuff from the day, work or whatever you have been doing. And, and you just get up, have coffee and, and start working. I think the, for me at least, the... The creativity comes more just natural and doesn't have to be uh, forced so much in a way. Mm. One thing that I think about working in the evenings is your sort of when it's dark, your sense of time kind of evaporates a little bit. So um, yeah, you don't have different signals throughout the day to give you impressions of when certain things are happening and what time it is. If it's lunchtime or whatever, mm-hmm. you know you've eaten all your meals of the day already, maybe or you've just had your dinner and you just then you've got everything in front of you to just go for really yeah. mm. I can definitely follow the sentiment in that but I mean I've just never been able to do it like when I meet up with Nicolai someone some like at 10 o'clock I've already been working two hours by myself and yeah I just I just feel so good actually even sometimes when if I get if I start too late I can't seem to like get started like if I start at one o'clock in the afternoon it feels like the whole day is ruined for me because it's too, way too late. Mm. And I've just I never often, been able like, to like... I often like, forget just to eat dinner, for example, and then I'll find myself sort of shaking. <laughs> like, I don't know, like, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like buzzed out. And, yeah, just like, oh, I need to like eat something, yeah. take yeah. care and whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoy working at night. And yeah, I definitely have a bit of a, a perk. Um about me, which you know happens later in the day for some reason, but it's not always like that. I think it also depends on what the on what you what I'm doing. Like at night, I think it's really good if I'm just jamming and not, you know, 
uh, arranging or finishing up stuff from just making sound and let it go forever. I think it's you're absolutely right about the time evaporates and and you kind of just go with it. But but if I'm in a mode where I'm actually trying to to finish something or get somewhere with something, I think it's much easier in in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, so I guess it depends on the task. Yeah, on that hand really. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. kind of more creative, sort of loosely working on an idea. Then maybe that's possible, you know, later as well as earlier in the day. But um, if you've got to do something quite strategic, like a mix, maybe it's better approaching that with, mm. you know, your coffee in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you just mentioned um, a collaboration between uh, uh, Petra and Sugar. Uh, I'm addressing both of you at the same time, but uh, mm. uh, can you tell me? Can, more about that what's uh, what is the project about yeah well um we just started last summer when i at that time i was uh, living in berlin but uh, it was just after covid started so uh, i i went back to denmark because i didn't really know what it was going to be and how many was going to get sick and i thought if i'm going to get sick i'd rather get sick in denmark than in germany mm-hmm. uh, and then yeah i didn't have so much to do and nikolai asked if he should collaborate on a track and and we met up in the studio, and then we thought, why not make an EP? <laughs> and then it's just been uh, like a space to maybe get a little bit away from techno sounds and try to experiment more together. And we are like, we're both really good at uh, not saying no to anything. So we're like trying out all ideas, yeah. like trying them out like way over the top and then maybe taking them a bit down. Like, yeah. after some time. <laughs> that's, yes. that's quite, that's quite precise. Yeah. 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 That's a good approach. Um, so, so any, any of the, any of the strange or out there ideas, uh, you want to drop here? What, what, what came up in those, uh, sessions? I think it's, it's, um, how to say it? I mean, if you work on a techno track, it's, I mean, obviously it can go in many, in many directions too, but, but I think in, in terms of, of our project, um, it's, it's hard to be precise about it, but I, I'd say that I think what we come up with and, and how we work, we, we both agree that none of us could have done it on our own. It's like, okay, we experiment with weird pubish melodies or, um, um, new computer techniques that none of us have tried before, but that we agree to try together and we dive into them and then we manipulate them further or run them through effects machines or stuff like this. Just go down roads that, that I wouldn't or Petra wouldn't necessarily have gone down on, on their own. Right. And I love the name, by the way. Yeah. Ultra harmonizer. Ultra harmonizer, yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, is it is that? Um, I guess you know when when you collaborate, you kind of can. Uh, when when there's two people, the it's not it's not always uh, an obvious. The result's not always an obvious um, result of the of the the two people coming together but it's yeah, yeah. very often like a third identity or like mm. a, a whole new thing yeah um has that been the case in in, in your uh, collaboration so far like would i think you, that you... definitely i think yeah i think it's so what, I think... what what are some of the things that you do you did completely different than how you would normally approach it 
I mean, for example, the thing that, like, if you're uh, if you're uh, collaborating with someone that you haven't really collaborated with collaborated with so much before, like, if you if you keep saying I I don't think that's a good idea, uh, maybe let's let's try something else, then the the process will stop quite qu uh, quickly, I think. Like, so you just need to keep a really open mind, otherwise, otherwise you'll get tired of each other pretty quick, I, f I yeah. think. Mm. Um, yeah, and if something I, goes wrong, you can ha you can point at the other person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't such a good idea after all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it wasn't my idea. <laughs> but also something like we've been like after when we feel like a track is done, uh, we've been taking the whole mix and then send it through uh, four different effects machines, and then having like that those tracks and cutting them into the mix, like as a as, as small effects as like as one. One part, one part of yeah, basically um, taking the whole track uh, and putting it out on the on the mixing discs, and then just jamming with the faders with with I don't know many effect machines at once, and then recording that back in and layering in underneath the the original track. But I also think that <clears throat> I think we've been quite good at re reinforcing with at, with each other what what we see or know that we're good at. You know, for example, Petra is, uh, I don't know if you can call it that, but trained uh, musician from uh, the conservatory in, uh, in Copenhagen. And, and I, I'm not a trained musician. I'm a self-taught musician. And there's some things that I've been interesting, interesting, interested in with, um, uh, with Petra, for example, where, where I've been asking, okay, can we, can we try to do this? Let's try to do, you know, just be curious and be, yeah, as Petra says, open-minded about whatever com comes into mind that we can put into the music. Nice. Some, someone was uh, asking the chat what kind of music genre we're talking about with your collaboration. <laughs> That's um, a really hard question. And, I, I mean, should what we have it to me last week or something? And oh. it's really hard to sum up because it's super, super experimental. It has a bit mm. of a kind of techno trance undertone, but also electronica influence and a live influence even in one track um, mm. yeah it's very wide spanning i would say mm. it's hard to, it's hard to pick down to pin down with what kind of genre it is it's just yeah. experimental electric dance music i guess yeah it's, it's always fun uh, if if people ask you to what genre your music belongs to <laughs> it's so hard you know because you know i mean you uh I don't know anyone who actually thinks in advance what uh, what uh, what genre they should be making stuff in, you know. Yeah, uh, and I think most people would kind of you know, the producers themselves would have like a, a different answer to what other people would commonly say as well, maybe. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah actually, true. with one of the tracks that we were making, we were like, we said to each other, "Should we try yes, to make a pop, a pop track?" Uh, oh, yeah. The the question, yes. <laughs> yes, um, but then we said, uh, should we try and make a pop track? And then we like put all our effort into make, making a pop track. And then of course, it's not—it's nothing like a pop track at all. But I mean, it was a, it was an intention from the beginning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes you need a starting point, like some some idea that sets you off, you know. And and even if it ends up in completely different territory, that doesn't really matter. But uh, yeah, so one of one of the ideas can can be let's make something like this, you know, like. A, an idea that you would normally not uh, use as a starting point, but um, maybe it gets you into a certain mood or a certain territory yeah. and you can work from there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, let's do a little studio tour. I see uh, uh, <laughs> um, Luke sitting in a, in a space, which yeah. is obviously a studio, but what else this do you is there, actually, except, for, except for plants? <laughs> can, yeah, this is actually my living room in my house where I have my um, studio. Oh, and nice. there's another space that I can go to to mix that a friend has. Um, but yeah, I'm not so gear heavy here, really. I mean, I just have my monitors. I've got like a, a few machines, MS-2000s, Wardorf Pulse, um, a couple of the Behringer things like the Pro One and the MS-1 and the TD3. And then my love is really the JD-800 from Roland. Oh. It's just over here. And, um, yeah, I'm mostly, mostly in the box. So, actually, I'm not a massive gearhead. Really. Well, it's, it's all you need, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's plenty of stuff. No excuses there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I've expanded and bought bits and sold bits. And, but mostly, I end up just working in the box a lot of the time. And then if I want to kind of lay over a new part, I might try something out, like a pad from a JD-800 or... Or some some acid line or something like that. When did you get the JD? Is that something you had for a long time, or did you uh, yeah, recently actually, discovered it? Um, I can't remember when I got it. Like, must be more than six or seven years ago. Weirdly enough, I bought it off DJ Zinc. Do you know DJ Zinc, who was a drum and bass producer? Oh, okay. Uh, he had like some pretty big hits. Um, and yeah, I ended up kind of finding an ad and then going up there and then figuring out it was actually DJ Zinc's old one. Um, so yeah, I picked it up in London and um, yeah, shipped it over. Did it still have uh, his presets or his sounds in it? Mm, I'm or not sure. I, wiped, I think I just wiped it. Did he carefully cover his tracks? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he did. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure some like, amazing music has been made on that machine specifically. But yeah, I just I think I just wiped it as soon as I got it, um, and the main reason why I got it actually was because of these um, extra expansion cards that you can get. There was a um, strings ensemble one, mm. which was pretty rare, and um, it just has some of the nicest pad and string sounds, and I think everything that was here in, in you know old LTJ book and mixes, and it was all kind of you know from the JD eight hundred or JV ten eighty. Um, quite commonly and um, that was a little bit more tricky to find so I had to get someone in Japan to uh, place a bid on an auction site for me and then have that shipped over and it was you know even the card was almost about half the price of what I paid for the synth basically oh, wow. so yeah it was expensive <laughs> Wow. So, so um, since you're working mostly in the box, would you consider yourself uh, a sculptor? Like, uh, do you do you you know zoom into things a lot? Or um, you... Yeah. I mean, I don't often work with audio, um, but when I do, I do tend to kind of chop it up and rearrange it, and um, yeah, resample things a lot of the time. Um, most of my early productions, actually, I literally just had several instances of Ultrabeat, which is like a sort of drum sequencer in Logic. And I more or less had like, you know, various different instances of that just running and sequence sounds on it. 
and then maybe for something more sustained, I was, you know, take a sampler and put a pad on it or whatever, or a string or a VST. But, um, but yeah, I mean, for me, the main thing is just vibe and palette of sound. That's like really, really important and number one to me. And um, I don't think my production processes have changed actually that much. I remember like speaking to Steffi very early on when I started my project and she was, you know, interested in how I was making music and I sort of said, and then I was like, yeah, but I want to get this and that and that. And she was like, you know, don't change anything. Don't change your thing. Just do your thing. Keep, mm. keep if it works, keep it like that. And that's kind of always stuck with me to in a, a certain extent. And I have expanded my studio a little bit and tried things out, but, um, yeah, more often than not, I kind of end up reverting to the to the, the old ways mm. of working. So how how do you usually start something? Mm. So I have like a pretty expansive um, sample library, and um, I would say like quite a lot of my time is just going through that and trying to find something. And if I found if I find a sound that I like and I have an idea for it, then I might just base the whole track around that and just use that as a starting point. Um, but yeah, other than that, just, you know, writing with beats and loading sounds into ultra beats still sometimes and um, just trying to find a groove and a rhythm and um, just move that along. Mm. Yeah, is that still I'm, in Logic you work? Or is you still work in Logic, yeah? Yeah, yeah, still in Logic. I mean, I often work in Ableton as well when I work with a friend that's tracing circles. So I'm a little bit, um, yeah, I know Ableton a little bit as well. But yeah, mainly Logic. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, well, I'm, I was asking because I've I've um, spent time working on things from scratch in the box, you know, and uh, I'm I'm very often sidetracked by the insane amount of possibilities, you know, amount of possibilities. So yeah. I'm uh, I found that I'm quicker by just uh, jamming things out, you know, just do things in real time. So I, you get like this real time conversation going between yourself and the instrument, and um, uh, so I, you know, you kind of basically stumble upon things more mm -hmm. than that you have to dial them in, if you know what I mean. Sure, sure, yeah. I think there's, you know, there's also a certain element of when you're working in the box um, where you can experiment and stumble on things also. Um, but yeah, I hear, I hear what you're saying. But whenever I've tried to pick up hardware, and I mean, sometimes I just play with something and record it and then maybe chop it up and use some, resample it, basically. But um, it always ends up being like a bit of a longer process for me to kind of set everything up and, Get everything working. Oh, really? I mean, <laughs> Logic's, uh, if you know Logic inside out and all the kind of routine of everything, I guess you can set up your studio in a really, you know, easy way. But it's, I've never kind of gone through the, the lengths to actually really set everything up in place and all the routine and everything. So, um, and, it, you know, things change in the studio as well. Quite often, you know, I might plug stuff in, plug it out, like store it somewhere, whatever. Mm. So it kind of, it's not really that practical for me to, to work in that way. Yeah. What about you, uh, Petra? I see some hardware behind yeah. you. Yeah. Are you. Are you a sort of real-time person or? 
I'm yeah. definitely most of a real-time person, and then I uh, like edit and and process uh, in the box a lot. Mm. Um, but also like out of the box. But I mean, yeah, definitely when I create, it's uh, it's out of the box. Uh, I have like uh, my biggest love affair is with the the electron machines, the Swedish. Uh, I have uh, some over there. I have three uh, over there. Uh, two machine drums and a mono machine. Two machine drums, yeah. Two machine drums, yeah. I, actually, <laughs> I, I was so uh, I was so worried uh, that one of them should break when I was out playing. Mm. So I bought an extra because they are getting super hard to uh, to get. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've been joking with Nikolai about because I talk about my, my machine drums all the time. <laughs> okay, well, I'm I'm happy to to uh, to talk about machine yeah. drums. I just but actually recently got one. And yeah. I, I ignored it for twenty years, and and now I got one, and I I think it's it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's become it's my favorite uh, drum box. And actually, very, very uh, having two, I can say is uh, is double as good. Actually, maybe even more. <laughs> maybe even more than uh, than having one. It's, okay, uh, so it's really, well, really do you actually use you have have, have a use for a, what two machine drums can do as opposed to just using one? I haven't tried doing it live yet, but I'm looking forward to it because then I can. Um, have two uh, machine room kits and then play the one of them double time or or oh, another yeah, time yeah. and um and 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 they also yeah so that's i think that's the main and then also just having the double the the possibilities because sometimes uh, you can get a little bit stuck when you create both uh, kicks and bass lines and percussion and maybe also a few like sampled melodies on one mm -hmm. then it's it may maybe not be quite too uh, not uh, uh, big enough uh, but uh, with two i mean that's that's a lot of possibilities what do you mean big enough like the uh, amount of sounds you can you can yeah, get exactly, from one? because it has 16 tracks yeah. and then uh, it has outputs and inputs so i often root um, uh, some percussion sounds into gates and envelope followers and stuff Oh, and so you use it as a sequencer as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, then you pretty quickly uh, run out of uh, tracks on it because right. it has sixteen. Yeah. Well, and I also like to like layer kicks, and layer uh, bass. So maybe I can use actually six tracks on only kicks and bass. Okay. Well, um, fair enough. Yeah. Then you yeah. run out quickly. <laughs> and then you run out pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've I've tried that. I mean, I th I thought the. Um, the sculpting on the, on that machine is uh, is so insane. Yeah. I've I've never really felt the need yet to to layer things, to be honest. No, true, but it, it, it's its own percussion sounds are also really really nice. But when you start uh, layering the stuff and uh, and rooting it into uh, gates and stuff, then you can also like sequence the filter and stuff like that, hmm. which makes it uh, yeah it gives it adds uh, a, a whole another layer, which hmm. is. It's really, really nice. Yeah. Awesome. And the same with the the mono machine, which is also an electron machine, like one of the older ones, uh, a six track synthesizer and effect machine, uh, where I also like do a lot of layering synthesizers and then do like two tracks with synthesizers and one track with a gate and or a reverb machine and stuff like something like that. And then you have two synthesizers in one uh, reverb machine, which you can sequence. So you can automate the filter, automate the, the reverb or the delays and stuff like that. Did you did you update them or one of them to the what is it zero point four uh, x 
whatever it's called, like the the one with the synth uh, machines. Uh, the mono machine. I think this one is like no, no, the no. Latest. I'm, I'm I'm talking about the machine drum again. Sorry. These are also the latest versions, both of them, because okay. there are, I think there are maybe four different versions, and some of them doesn't have a sampler, and some of them yeah. doesn't have like a, a library, but these are all the the Rolls Royce. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Rolls Royce machine drum. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I had one, and then uh, uh, I bought my brother's because uh, he didn't use it as much, and I was like, I need to find one more. Mm. <laughs> No, I was actually talking about this uh, update. It's an unofficial uh, uh, software update, but ah, okay. it's it's the one that that has um, extra machines, and they're basically just synths, you know. So you can. Oh, I did not update to that. I didn't know about that. Yeah, and uh, I haven't take took. The, I didn't take the jump yet, but um, it what I've seen what it can do is it's really interesting. Okay. So. Um, yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. It's uh, it's yeah, cool. Yeah, I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so um, so two machine drums uh, and uh, and mono machine and there's a modular, right? And a oh, modular, what's that? And it's a Prophet, a Prophet 08, Dave, Dave Smith Instruments. Nice. And uh, then I have over here, uh, oh, the other way. No, the other way. <laughs> uh, uh, like an Allen Heath digital mixer. And underneath there's like some rack gear. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. Uh, I saw some comment about um, the massive desk at uh, Sugar Studio. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that a Midas or is it something else? Yeah, it is a Midas 250XL. Uh, I think it has 52 channels. Um, oh dear. I think, <laughs> yeah. And I think it's 40. Uh, I can't count in my head. Forty-four or forty-six mono channels and eight no four stereo channels and eighteen cents. Um, that can both be used as cents and groups and a lot of amazing features. Um, so yeah, that's my that's my centerpiece. That where everything in my studio is connected to all my inputs and outputs and my audio interface is connecting to that desk and all my gear is connected to to patch base and, and that disk. Awesome. So it's like uh, it is you use it for tracking and for mixing? So it's, it goes through the desk on the way in and the way out? Or is it do you do Both. live live mixes? Both. I mean the first the first couple of records that I've uh, oh, actually, all the ones that have been released so far are, I think, ninety percent of the tracks are one take live jams. So no edits uh, in the box mixing because I didn't know how to use Ableton at the time, and I was quite um, what do you say purist. <laughs> I was like anti-computer. It has to be all gear and only yeah. that. and. and because I was quite obsessed with it, but also to be honest, because I didn't, uh, I couldn't really bother to also get into how Ableton was working, so I was just using it to to record a stereo track of what I was doing. So, yeah, the, so, um, so to begin with, I used it for both tracking and mixing. Now, um, on the records to come, and me and Petra's project and. The, the few EPs that are coming out uh, later this year and early next year, 
is a mix of both, where some parts of the rig- uh, of the tracks are mixed on the desk, and the rest in the computer. Some something in entirely in the computer, and but all recorded uh, on the desk at first. Mm. Um, so so yeah, that's that's the process, and and keep sending yeah, things. Excuse me. No, no, no. I was going to say there is something about sitting behind a massive desk, you know, with all the yeah. knobs and faders. It makes you feel like an actual producer. <laughs> yeah. I actually just tore my whole studio down last week. And where I'm rebuilding it now, I'm going to have the, the mixer as, um, in front of me um, by the speakers because that's how that, that, that will fit the room the best. But in my old studio, it was actually on the side. So I had all the gear on, in the front and on the right and then the mixer on the side. So it wasn't ideal to actually mix, like if let's say that I would have a lot of tracks in the computer and would route them out onto the mixer, it wouldn't be ideal to be sitting like this and having yeah, the speakers yeah. here. So, but that's how I'm gonna, I'm gonna set it up in, in the new space and probably also gonna try that out to mix recorded stuff but sent back onto the mixer yeah do you also use it for sound design like uh, run things through it and resample them and stuff like that a lot yeah a lot yeah. i also have three samplers connected to to the mixer sense so i have a emu uh easy fourth esi 4000 i think and an mpc 4000 and then and sonic uh, asr 88 and oh, nice <laughs> and a lot of eventide machines and and Mm, different um, effect processors that I um, really use the the mixing board a lot for that. Sounds like you, yeah, sounds like you can get an, a lot of flavors there with with uh, the way you set it up. Yeah, a lot because you can also send you can route the sense together. You can send one effect into another effect into another mm. effect into the sampler, and then that sound back on through other effects, and you can. Sample it in the computer or on the hardware samplers or whatever. It's, it's really a functional setup for any kind of way that I would like to work. Also, when I've been uh, collaborating on some projects with um, people not living in Denmark and we've been new doing the tracks in Ableton, it's been nice to just be able to process one sound at a time from the computer out and back in. And when I'm doing stuff with Pitcher, for example, it's nice to be able to multi-track a jam and and then process it further afterwards. Yeah. Mm. So how do you actually approach it technically? I mean, you both have studios. Um, do you meet up in one, one of them and then uh, work on parts of it? Or is it all taking place in one, one of your studios? It's all been taking place in my studio, yeah. Um, right. But since I just uh, quit the rental lease, I guess it's called, uh, I just, yeah, I needed uh, some fresh air and I also needed some less expenses now to the current uh, situation of uh, no uh, musical income. So I'm going to I'm gonna build a new studio, but we managed to finish the, the first EP before I, I shut it down. And... Um, and so we will have to see how it's going to work from now on. Maybe we're going to meet in Petra Studio. Maybe we're going to sit somewhere else and 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 work. 
Yeah, luckily right. we we managed to like finish all the tracks, so now we only have a little bit of mixing to do. Right. Okay. Uh, I have to mention the cat. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> too. She does that when when I when I work. She just comes up here and I have to hold her butt like this, and then I only have one hand to work with. Is it, hair, is, it, is it a hairless hairless yeah, cat? Yeah, oh, nice! Is, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a, a Peruvian Peruvian hairless dog mm -hmm, yeah. um, with hair. Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> I have to explain it every time I walk. Uh, you know, it's like people ask, "What what kind of dog do you have?" Well, it's a Peruvian hairless dog, and then <laughs> they see the you see the look on their face, and then I have to add, you know, with hair because uh, <laughs> you know it, it's in the gene. So some some of them get born with uh, still with a fur. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, thanks for bringing the cat into the frame. It's going to boost the views for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> so does she uh, does she like sounds uh, or get annoyed with uh, high pitched noises and stuff like that? Or? No, she she loves being in here. Like, uh, but she mostly lo just loves being on my speaker amplifier <laughs> because it's hot. <laughs> oh then, yeah, yeah, of course. Because she's a hairless cat, she like she she uh, she she goes for the heat all the time. Yeah. So uh, she just lies on there all day and sleeps. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's nice to have a companion. I take the dog sometimes oh, in, the, yeah. in the studio. And yeah. She's very quiet, but um, uh, <laughs> surely that should be a Peruvian hair, hair dog. full dog. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't know if there's a name. I, actually, I think they do have a name for for them. You know, the I think the the breed is is called something, and then the 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 ones that are with fur they. Um, they have a name for them, uh, but I, I don't I don't know what it is. But it's like uh, it means something. It, it actually it's kind of uh, the name means something like uh, um, that. It's not like a real one or like a um, fake, you know, fake dog. yeah, yeah, a fake <laughs> one or uh, not uh, not a true one. You know, anyway, mm -hmm. um, that's why I, that's why we love her. You know, yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> the only thing annoying by by this one is that she likes to chew on cables. So I have to be like over her. Oh shit! Oh, yeah, she starts chewing on the cables. I'm like, no, 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 no. Okay, okay. <laughs> Has she ever uh, uh, ruined something? No, not yet. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> so it's not that bad. No. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So um, yeah, I mean, let's let's um, uh, talk about this mixing situation because I'm always interested in people working on desks and what 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 else they do with it, um, especially things like routings and everything so you the remarkable thing you said you just said you had uh, your samplers hooked up uh, to your sense i have what is that, what is that I, have, for? I mean that that makes it possible to sample anything that goes on at the mixer at, at any time so i have uh, it has 18 cents so send 18 no send 17 and 18 is um hooked up to a custom-made box that can split the signal three ways. So if it, uh, the switch is at one, then it goes to the EMU. If it's at two, it goes to the NBC. If okay. it's at three, it goes to the uh, Insan Exemplar. So at any point, whatever is going on at the, at the mixer, if it's just a simple beat or if it's a crazy effects, uh, atmosphere or noise or synth or whatever, you can just turn up the scent and it will be rooted to the sampler and I can, I can sample that. And it can be done on, of course, any channel. Um, so that makes it extremely 
flexible that you can both, I mean, it's, it is, after all, also sampling to just record it into Ableton. That would be the same, but I can also record that same thing directly into the sampler and then play with that from there. Do you commonly use certain samplers for different types of sounds? Yeah, definitely. I think they all have um, quite different sounds. I think the MPC 4000 is my main drum machine, actually. And I have uh, hooked that up with two Electron Digitacts as the sequencers and MIDI map the, the MPC 4000 so that I can control all the necessary parameters directly on the MPC from the Digitact. So I don't have to sit with a stupid wheel and a little screen, but I can just do it from the from the Electron machines. And that has a very, very hi-fi clean sound with, I mean, it does have it does have a sound more than the new MPCs, but it, uh, but it's still quite clean compared to, for example, the the Emu, which is uh, an older sampler. I think it's from '98 or something. Um, that that specific sampler, and it's really, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would say gritty, but it's really heavy sounding, really warm, texturized, and you can pitch material down to whatever, <laughs> pitch it all the way down or all the way up, and it still keeps uh, the integrity of the sound. Mm. Whereas with the MPC, I think you can pitch things fairly up and down and it still sounds good, but if you go too far, it'll start sounding grainy and not, uh, it loses its integrity. But you can create crazy sub-material out of almost any sound on the Emu sample, for example, because you can pitch it so far down and it still sounds good. And then for the Insonic sampler, it just has crazy uh, looping and layering options um, that the Emu sampler doesn't have. So you can create like you can create almost synthesis sounding um, stuff out of a snare or whatever, um, and it has like this fader where you can morph in between the uh, sample sample points. I think it's called. Um, and yeah, it sounds amazing too. But I think they sound quite different the three of them. Mm. Yeah, there's been a lot of mention of uh, emu samplers recently on the on the chat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It seems to um, um, I mean, there's a bunch of samplers here, but and and there is actually an emu which uh, is from my studio mate. But I haven't tried it, but I'm becoming more and more intrigued. I used to have one, but I never gelled with it, and I sold it again. And now I'm like, hmm, <laughs> maybe I could, could, should give it a spin sometime. <laughs> I think they're super nice because, first of all, they're much cheaper to buy than the Ekai samplers, for example, because they don't, for some reason, have the same legacy or something. I don't know. I think the Ekai samplers have some kind of hip-hop legacy, maybe, or, yeah. or whatever. So they they seem to be higher priced. But I think I bought, uh, I think I bought that Emu sampler five years ago for 100 euros or something. What? And, oh, uh, wow. Yeah. And it 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 just it just sounds amazing, and I think they I think I got it at a good price. But when I see them now, they're not expensive. I think it's five six hundred or something like that. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. So how did you? Um, I mean, were they? I, I assume they're they're still using floppies on those machines, right? I, I, did you did you have some kind of way to work with uh, faster media to store your sounds and stuff? Mm, not on that actually, because I tend to with that with that particular because yeah with that particular sampler I tend to just make it, use it, 
and oh, okay. delete it. Right, but right. Because, right. Because, because if I make something that I want to save, then my my MPC has a USB drive, and I can record it into that and save it there. And the, the in some example it has a spursy drive, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and yeah, the the my email has um, has floppy, but you can upgrade it to to be able to take uh, USB or or whatever other drives, I think, also, if you want to. So it's not retrofitted for taking USB, then? So it's original, in its original no, state? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's in, the, in the original state with the floppy. And um, it's also because I think the reason why I didn't upgrade it was because the way that I started working with it was just make it, it's it's multi-part temporal, so you can make... You can have 16 uh, sounds, uh, 16 tracks running at the same time. So often when I was working at a track or two at the same time, then I would just uh, say, let's say, channel 5 to 10 for five sounds for this track and 1 to 5 for for this track. And then I would just work on it for a while. And when the tracks were done, I would just delete it. Mm. Yeah, I like I like the attitude. You know, just uh, use it, and, uh, and once it's uh, yeah. basically printed, you can you f- can forget about it. Don't even worry, yeah. worry about the archiving. Yeah, yeah. I got one of those old uh, S six twelve samplers. You know, the really early mm-hmm. Akai ones. It's the twelve bit one, and it, mm-hmm. it it does have some way of uh, uh, archiving with the uh, you know there's some uh, floppy drive kind of thing. Not it's not even floppy. It's like earlier than that even. D- mm. uh, double double sided discs, uh, okay. so in theory you can you can store things, but I never use it. It's like I do the same as you, you know, just record something into it and then use it, and then you know switch the machine off and it's gone forever. <laughs> yeah. Also, Why if not? there's a if there's a sound that you really like, that then I just record it into the computer and and yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. And then you have it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, do you do you use uh, Petra your uh, um, machine drums or samplers as well? Uh, only um, a few times I've loaded samples in there, but it's also you need to use this uh, special Electron um, yeah. USB device to yeah. to get it over there, and it's I mean it's so slow and there's uh, literally no loo- no room. It's like I think there's space for like maybe a minute of samples or something like that. Well, that's you know in sampling territory, not that bad, you know. Yeah, uh, no, I mean no. historically. <laughs> historically, no. But I also yeah. have an octatrack. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I use that for for sampling and for loading samples and stuff like that. But I actually I haven't used it that much lately because I mostly synthesize stuff uh, and use that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I've um, I've once tried it the uh, the loading the samples and it is very slow, yeah, but it it yeah. it is worth it in some way because yeah, yeah. and I also like the the fact that it makes you really sit down and think about what you are going to transfer because it's such a hassle. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. you True. you are really more selective. Yeah. yeah, you are really picky with the things that you actually are going to transfer. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think that's half the fun, you know. Just imagine, you, basically, you're you're imagining in your head what could yeah, the sample yeah. sound like when it's when it's inside. What could yeah. I do with it? True. And um, so you know, it's even worth you know just transferring over you know maybe two or three sounds you know just to yeah. see how it works and then just pick them carefully. Yeah. I mean, I like that kind of limit on on. Uh, you on also machines, won't you know? really have room for more than two to three sounds. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but I mean, the machine yeah. drum sampler is really nice for like uh, sampling internally, because it mm. can sample the whole machine 
or you can sample the, the inputs in the machine. So like if you have a really nice percussion track, you can sample that into the sampler and then yeah, use that. Yeah. And fuck it up and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the machine dumb is really good for fucking up stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, you mid, can have mid zeros, mid millennium uh, machines. Like it's. I've also tried to to have these add-on uh, contr MIDI controllers, and it's uh, some of the uh, software for it is uh, so old, and they're not getting updated. So you can run it on newer computers. So I have an old MacBook Air. So that I can uh, so I can uh, use, like update the firmware on on my MIDI controller for the machine drums because uh, the newer computers uh, won't support it. Yeah, keep the keep the old computer just for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah nice. Yeah, I haven't got around uh, doing that that kind of trick where you basically have a chew in its own uh, outputs in real time because you you can you know like like with I've done it with the Octatrack because but it's easy to do there I guess. Mm. But um, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna try it. It's uh, it's it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's great for that. Yeah, yeah. It gets very glitchy very quickly, but I mean, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. it's cool. Yeah. Um, cool. So yeah, let's see if there's anything going on in the comments because we are doing our best to ignore you again. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a question about for all of us. Uh, are any of us <coughs> using sequences to arrange your tracks, or is it more about uh, free flow, free flow creation? I um, mean, all of the electron machines have their own sequencer in them. Uh, so, I mean, mostly I use uh, one of the machine drums as uh, the master, and then I uh, MIDI link them. And but then I can still use the the sequencers on the other machines. Um, yeah. So I mean, I use sequencers all the time. Yeah. But do you but do you have them run in in real time and then just uh, change patterns in real time, or or do you actually use the song mode and stuff? No, I don't use the song mode as much because it's uh, it takes so much time to uh, to to create a song. Yeah. Um. And but but uh, I use the. Um, the pattern changes uh, a lot. Mm. Like for a, a live set, I maybe um, actually use all all of the patterns and all of the banks in the like in my in my master machine, and then I link them. So when I change the pattern on one of them, they all change the pattern. So right. I can. So I mean, that's definitely also what the song mode does. The song mm. mode is just uh, an automated version of that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the I same mean, for me. I also use um, yeah the electron machines as as the sequences and the, the Digitacs can't use uh, song mode so they can only um, you can only just do you can do pattern change so it runs through I think up to four patterns and repeat itself and then you can change the patterns manually but I think depending on what kind of music I'm making a lot of times it's enough for me to just have one, two, or three patterns because I have two of them, so it's sixteen tracks, and um, you can still change stuff, uh, mute and unmute stuff manually on the flyer, and mute and unmute steps. And I think it's it's quite enough for for what I'm doing often. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, these days I usually do the same. You know, just uh, have, have things run, change things on the fly manually. Mm. 
but uh, I've also done like actual songwriting, you know, okay. or, or, like arranging in in uh, in song mode in certain, mm -hmm. uh, like M I did. I used to do that in my MPC or in the uh, or in R8 even. Uh, you did it on the MPC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on, crazy. A, on a three thousand. Yeah, I mean, it's easy. You know, it's quite <laughs> actually, it's quite easy. But it's yeah. kind of it's a different mindset, you know, because you think yeah. you you basically write your stuff. Uh, with the idea that you were going to chain them uh, to chain the patterns afterwards, so yeah, you, you yeah. kind of do little little sort of fills in whatever in, in yeah. the end of the pattern or before you know stuff like that you know so you're more sort of conscious about how uh, how the song's actually going going to be written out instead of just mm. letting it happen. Mm. Um, I wouldn't say it's better or anything, but it it uh, it's it's a different mindset, a different process. Yeah. Um, sure. But I mean, uh, I'm these days. I'm generally too impatient for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was there was a question about uh, your percussion, uh, Sugar. Maybe you want to talk about that. Uh, how the percussion on "Keep the Wounds Clean" came into being? Yeah, that track is actually um, one of the tracks that are um, arranged and made in the box, but with hardware sounds for the material so so um, <sighs> that was when I was starting experimenting with um, editing and cutting up audio in, in Ableton and it was one of the first uh, the first tracks I did that way I think maybe the track me and Anita did together was the first one because it has to be, had to be like that because she was in Paris and I was in Copenhagen but um but this track, I think, was the first one where I, for example, started experimenting with breakbeats um, because I've been quite obsessed with a lot of the old uh, drum and bass, jungle, and also the more extreme, like Venetian Snares, Aphex, Shitmat, and all that stuff, and been uh, obsessed with how the fuck did they actually do this stuff, <laughs> both, of both of course, with the hardware, but also with the software that was available at the time. So, so, I, was, so I started trying to, for myself to see how can I how can I use these breakbeat samples and cut them up, uh, affect them and arrange them in a way so it sounds like my material instead of a, just a breakbeat sample running over the track. And um, so that percussion was basically made out of breakbeats that were chopped into like a layer, five breakbeats on top of each other, have one to be the one that you listen to and the other ones are muted. And then you start chopping out, chopping out hits on the ones that are muted and throwing them into the one that is not muted. So it becomes like this uh, mutant breakbeat made out of four or five breakbeats. And then when you start to get the rhythm going with setting the envelopes on each individual hit over, uh, I don't know, two or two, four bars, then start, start processing it and uh, saturating it and giving it effects and then cut it again. And so it's, it's really like a, a process that took quite a while. But, um, and it's a process that I'm much more confident in now and much more, I'd say, practiced in now. So it goes a lot faster. But at the time, I would say sit for like three weeks and figure out like... <laughs> How the fuck do I do, do this? <laughs> yeah, it's it's always um, uh, funny. Because sometimes you wonder how the how the hell did they do this? And um, 
you never find out, of course. And even if you would ask the producer that did it, they would say, ah, oh, maybe I used uh, this or that, and they, they don't <laughs> quite recall how they did it. Because, yeah, exactly. you know, we, I mean, we all know if you, if you do something in the studio, um, uh, you know, in the end, you know, kind of, you kind of know how you got there, but uh, it was never the plan, you know, you kind of, <laughs> no. you kind of twisting and turning to kind of sort of uh, squeeze it out of, uh, out of what the, you know, the situation or the gear uh, without a, a very structured, um, you know, method in, in advance. Mm. So it's, it's often the, the experimentation that leads to the most interesting results, you know, like, uh, let's try yeah. this and see what happens. And then it never turns out the way you want, but it, sometimes ends up being interesting yeah exactly. um, i'm gonna bring in a question to myself <laughs> uh the patterns remix uh the, the the drums were actually done on the mpc because uh actually the the remix was something i did for uh to be able to play it live so i needed to have something inside the mpc and uh so I which one uh, the 3000. Okay. Yeah. Um, I yeah, actually took that on the road, man, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> la later, yeah, later I switched Ow. to, yeah, in a huge box, <laughs> breaking my back, you know. Like on the plane? Uh, yeah, even oh, that, yeah. Shit. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, but um, basically the drums were, were just, I don't know, just uh, drum sounds from I don't know what, but uh, they were all ran through the R2600 preamp. And you know, just basically distorted the fuck out of them through through the preamp and had some sort of FM on the filter, blah blah blah, and um, yeah, and then resampled them into the MPC. That's basically it's very simple, mm. but um, but it was like the it was the live version which later I decided to release. Um, uh, yeah, so I was I was actually wondering. Look how you um, approach things when you work in the box. Do you start things in a loop? Are you are you basically yeah, yeah. sculpting things as a loop and then sort of later on? Because we were talking about sequencing, right? And if you're mm -hmm. in, yeah, if I you're use in sequences as well, but oh, okay. virtual virtual sequences, I guess. Okay. So you know all the nine and nine sounds are done in the Tramazon D16, and I sequence in the um, sequence on board there and. Um, yeah, I'm I'm still using Ultrabeat fairly fairly regularly and um, sequence all the sounds in that way. It's basically just the Logic um, drum computer where you can load okay. your own samples and um, yeah, you can have some synth sculpt and stuff. But it's not really that great for that. I just use it to load in sounds. So yeah, I always work sequencing in a kind of Roland style um, sixteen step. Um, and that's kind of my preference, really. I don't really like to use the piano roll and the door. But um, recently, I started sequencing more synth sounds using a plugin called HY Seek uh, SEQ 16. And I'm really enjoying using that. And there's quite a lot of possibilities. Um, I think it's kind of modeled similarly to the Mac uh, 16 sequencer, though for one. Um, so, yeah. And then... Some lanes will be just audio, and I'll just kind of slice and cut up audio. And then some lanes I'll have um, a sampler, uh, put sounds in there and play them on the keyboard or 
or whatever. But um, yeah, um, for me, the kind of in the box thing is sort of where I feel comfortable. I have kind of sequenced stuff on hardware before. I had like a rhythm like a couple of years ago, and um, yeah, I just I just find the having everything in one place a bit more fluid for my workflow, basically. Mm. So how do, how do you do get you, from? Oh, sorry, go go. I was just asking, uh, do you use because one of the things that I find hard sometimes when working uh, on projects in Ableton is if you don't have MIDI controllers or a good you know uh, opportunities to to hand say manual interface yeah. Yeah, do you yeah, have no. any mini controllers or stuff like that? No, so no, whatsoever. No, I mean, sometimes, occasionally, if I want to kind of get like a more natural feel for something, I might plug in just like the tractor controller that I've got that is just yeah. sort of sitting around in a drawer and just, you know, maybe change the filter or record the automation of a delay or a reverb maybe. Um, mm. But, yeah, mostly if I'm doing any automation, I'll do it actually creating nodes, points, and um, mm. and also just have different plugin instances that I can kind of automate the whole process for me. Mm-hmm. What I'm wondering about, though, is, um, I, I mean, I've, I've uh, done stuff the way you describe uh, often enough, and what I always get stuck with is when, once I got a really nicely sculpted loop and all the layers sort of worked out, um, how do you get there from how do you get from there to an arrangement yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, i mean i I don't really i guess it's more of like an old kind of dub kind of mixing technique so i'll just have the mixer with all the all the all the channels and i'll just kind of get a feel for everything muting things um just getting a sense of a loop and then when i get to a point where i kind of have an idea about all the different parts of the arrangement uh, just by kind of improvising, looping, um, muting things, you know, maybe doing some volume changes, things like that. And that's the moment I have to get to that moment first where I'm really comfortable playing around with it before I can then take it into an arrangement. Um, and yeah, from that point, actually, the because I've already kind of played with the track, the arrangement process is normally just laying down all the kind of brickwork of it is normally pretty quick. And then from there, it's kind of just making all the transitions and, you know, doing all the fading and creating all the notes. And, um, and that that takes a lot more time. And, you know, I can be quite, um, yeah, quite anal about going about <laughs> it, basically, and just keep making sure everything's quite perfect and, and that I'm fully happy with it. But... Um, but yeah, normally just laying down the brickwork of the the arrangement itself, the you know the bare bones to it is pretty quick. Okay, and okay, so you basically kind of practice, or you you sort of find the settings that could uh, that work together with like some tracks muted and some tracks uh, unmuted, and then you keep that sort of in mind when you when you start sort of laying it out over the timeline, or do you actually yeah. record the record those? No, those I, don't sessions rec- as well? I don't record it because I often feel that I kind of. And you end up changing it anyway at some point. So I just kind of, you know, go along step by step, kind of re-listening to it, working my way through from start to finish, basically. Mm. 
Okay, and then and then the, there comes the the final sort of uh, smoothing things out uh, yeah, process, exactly. and and that can take ages, I guess. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I as much as I love it, you know, sometimes I really like to to dive into things and and completely, uh, you know, sort of finishing stuff up in in the box and and get zoom into all these details and you know, um, but there's always the danger of uh, getting further and further away from the original idea. Is there something? Mm-hmm. Is there something you you have? Is there a strategy you use to to sort of keep things from from happening like that? Because um, you know, yeah, uh, I mean, quite often, you know, you can get a sense for like a loop and you could be listening to it and have a certain idea about how a track might kind of develop and play out during the arrangement. But then actually when you start doing that, you end up kind of reaching some points where you're like, oh, okay, this, this hasn't quite worked. Maybe I need to introduce it in a new part here or or something like that. But, um, but yeah, going back... Um, you know, using different kind of plugins and having things kind of automated, I kind of try and like to get to a point where the track is sort of right in itself in a way. Mm. You know, things are kind of moving around a little bit and um, and then, yeah, it makes the kind of arrangement process a bit more straightforward. But, um, yeah, with my, like, music in general, I've, I've never got caught up too heavily in trying to make complex patterns or overcomplicate, you know, slicing audio too much or, and things like that. I've more just concentrated on having a collection and a palette of sounds um, that I kind of feel confident and that I can relate to and I have some sort of connection with. And that's kind of been the main the main focus in my production, really, more than, you know, improvisation or, or something like that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, uh, so so you you basically know what you're gonna do. You you kind of you you basically put yourself on a on a path to the direction you want to end up in, instead of to, uh, you know losing yourself in in the endless. Yeah, I mean, it's not always it's not always planned out. Obviously, I mean, part of the whole process of creating the loop. I mean, I don't always have like a strong idea of what that loop will sound like, hmm. um, but you know, being involved in that and working with it you kind of, in your intuition, you kind of let that kind of guide you how the track is going to turn out in a way. Hmm. Um, but then there'll be some, you know, go-to things that I'm familiar with, which I know that might work well, that I'll kind of fall back on and rely on. Hmm. Do you do you uh, reference your tracks or do you have some kind of way to decide when your mix is, is optimised? Like uh, a being against other stuff you've done, or maybe even other people's music, not, or play them, really. play them out sh- in a club as a yeah, you know, something not like really. That. I mean, I should probably should do that more often, to be honest, because it probably <laughs> give me a bit more confidence in my mixing abilities and be able to cross reference things. But um, I think you know when I get to a point with a track, I normally hit up a couple of very close musician friends that I have and get a bit of criticism from them and that can maybe give me a little bit of input at that point. And I think that's a really important thing to have, to have a couple of people that you can be quite open and close to and just, you know, let them kind of have a bit more insight into your music than perhaps other people might. Um, And, yeah, I find that kind of really helpful. And 
that helps me to kind of get to a position where I kind of can finalize things. But I'm never, I'm never happy with, you know, the final mix down like I think most people are, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel the same. Yeah, wh- what do you what do you feel is um, is is missing in your abilities there? What what are, mo- are the most uh, common things when you when you're not happy with the mix? What is it What is it you don't like about it? Is it dynamic it's just, or it's just trust in an acoustic environment? I think okay. what it comes down to. I mean, most of the time I'm working here at home and I have my studio set up, um, and obviously can't play loud, and I've got some treatment to an extent, but it's not the environment where I can just pump it out really loud and um, get like a full impression of the full frequency spectrum. So I, I do have the opportunity to go and check my music in other studios, like Simon, who I work with, uh, Chasing Circles on. Um, I've got access to that studio and I know the room a little bit more, but then again, it's not, you know, nothing's ever perfect. No environment is ever perfect. But um, I think, you know, yeah, maybe just trying to listen to different uh, listen on different systems and giving you better impression about where the balance is and mixes. Mm. Um, but yeah, I have more faith down at that studio where I work with Simon um, than I do kind of at home. But it doesn't it doesn't stop me from creating as such. Yeah. But when it comes to maybe you know the final mix down, then it can be it can be complicated. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean. Um, I, I was expecting this, you know, because uh, I've yet to meet the first person on all of these chats uh, that is confident about their mix down. <laughs> Everybody's always trying. Oh, it's, it's always a trade-off, isn't it? It's always, um, um, yeah. It's uh, yeah, you have absolutely. to leave some. Yeah, you have to leave something to make something else work and um, trade it off against something. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of the music I really like is all. You know, it's never been. You know, a lot of the music that I'm into is is never engineered to perfection. There's always going to be some sort of aspect to it which, you know, has a bit of a more amateur or raw kind of feeling and that's something that I also yeah. really enjoy and like. And I, yeah. I, and I don't just want to be, you know, spending all my time kind of procrastinating over how well a mix down is. Mm. Um, but it can really make or break a track, definitely. Yeah. And um, the value of it is... is um, yeah, really important. Yeah. I mean, I would also say, like, often it's also, like, an aesthetic of a time. Like, if you listen to techno and trance from the 90s, if you would listen to it from a producer perspective of today, a lot of it you would say, this sounds like shit. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, the the whole aesthetic of it sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well. That's one um, of the big draws. Um, yeah. You know, and, you, I mean, also, like, if you... If, Probably, if you look back on some productions uh, from now, if you look back on in twenty years, some of it you might say, "Wow, this was they produced really weirdly at that time." Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's all relative, no? Absolutely, it's also really yeah. hard to integrate classic music in a DJ set, for example, purely from that from that point where yeah, yeah. you know today we have you know better engineers maybe or more tools and we can achieve. You know, different things, but um, but there's still that charm, you know, that's there mm-hmm. from back in the day, and that a lot of people feel very drawn to. Yeah, I totally agree. But I mean, uh, the the it is it is part of the the whether you're happy with a mix or not doesn't I don't necessarily mean uh, getting it as polished uh, as possible, but um, 
more like Petra says, you know, just reaching the aesthetic that you're after. Mm. Um, so, uh, and that's, that's, um, uh, there's still always trade-offs, you know, there's still always uh, decisions you have to make to, to get it the way you want it to sound like. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I, yeah, Petra, you m mentioned before you are layering things and stacking things a lot. Um, uh, why do you do that? I mean, are you not happy with like a single <laughs> kick drum or is, <laughs> I don't is it know, part, actually, of, part of the sound design? Yeah, I think so. Also, because uh, sometimes it uh, makes it so much uh, more difficult to mix, probably, probably. Uh, um, but I just, I mean, I feel like I always want to experiment on the sounds and yeah maybe it's as you say i'm not i'm not uh, uh i'm not um i'm not co satisfied. Uh, content satisfied with a with a uh, regular kick i mean it's just uh yeah let's talk about kick drums people <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just I saw a co weird, one, you know yeah i just saw um a comment earlier about uh Sugar's kick drum. So maybe, maybe we can share yeah. some uh, kick drum secrets. Those are really so, nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I always layer them usually out of three, maximum four components. Um, the main kick is, um, <clears throat> for the most part, made out of a big uh, kick library. Me and um, my my good friend Repro, who has the romantic label, we. Uh, we made together out of some kicks that he originally made of a modular synth he had a long time back. Um, and I guess that he, I can't say for sure, but I'm just going to say it on his behalf, but I think he made them with um, with, uh, with an envelope with you could uh, set to exponential, I guess, so it's, so you could uh, set the curve on, on how the sweep would be. And... And with one or two good oscillators, e either with some FN or not, make some really good um, synthesized uh, kick sweeps. And he made a, a bunch of them, and those we have been uh, manipulating and processing further over the years, layer layering them with different transients or you know a really really tight snare set good in the mix or whatever and we've we here he have made some further than he's using and i have done too but with those kicks i always use that and a bass component a bass roll component and a sub component and the bass roll is usually on uh, step three and four or two three and four with different uh, velocity settings and the sub element is a big sub bank i have made out of um, samples from a microphone that I have where I've just been blowing into the microphone. So it's <laughs> oh, I remember when I came to Copenhagen you showed me yeah. that. Me that yeah. I actually use Nikolai's blows as well. <laughs> yeah, so it creates this uh, rumble of distortion from the from the microphone capsule or whatever. So because it creates just a whole frequency spectrum of rumble and you can set the filter and whatever. Uh, setting you want really earthy sort of sound isn't it yeah exactly and then I adjust those three components together with the fitting envelopes so the kick rings out when the when the bass hits kick come in and the, the sub is either directly on one and blows together with the kick 
or comes as like a sweep up, so it gets like this uh, pulling sounds, so like mm. kind of, and um, yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes I I then um, I then add further, like in later in the mixing process, I then can maybe add uh, a, another transient to the kick. And it doesn't matter if I do it in the box or in the mixer. If I think that the kick doesn't punch through enough, I can have just like a, a snare really, really low and filter down in the mix. So, so where where does the combining take place then? Is that in inside the computer? Because um, you can easily, if you if you layer th- things, you can get like a drifting or phasing problems or or how do you keep it tight? How do you keep it all sort of sample accurate? It has never been a problem for me neither. Uh, obviously not in the computer because it's sample accurate, but it hasn't been a problem on the mixer either because I set the envelopes to fit. So e- either if there is a slight MIDI drift or whatever, it's never an issue. So like let's say the kick, the kick rings out, and the, and then the bass hit comes in when when that is ringing out, and then the sub, if that is on one together with the kick, then I just make sure that it's filtered enough. And that the trains like the, the very first transient of the sub has like a, a slight decay. So when the kick hits, then the sub comes, but it it it, it is put so and EQ'd and filtered so that it it doesn't create any issues. And and is this all happening as like a sound design uh, sort of uh, moment in the studio, or um, and then you archive archive them for later, or are you basically Tweaking all I, these these vari- I do it variations every time. during. Sorry, I do it every time uh, from 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 scratch. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. But what I mean is, it is it part of the writing process, or like, are you, are you changing these variables uh, while you are adding other sounds as well, or or are you yeah. just designing a kick just as it by itself and as its own thing before no, you? No, I'd say both. I mean, I always keep it open so I can because I think it, it depends really much on what percussion or other grooves. You, you add on to the if yeah. it's let's say techno for four by four um i think it also depends like what comes in later like how does the synth uh, roll how does the percussion go so i all and I, I never let's say resemble it into one sound i always keep it separate so like okay now the now the bass roll is a bit off in comparison to the percussion or Whatever. Yeah, okay, so, so you can you can still tweak the variables uh, yeah. while you are yeah okay exactly. yeah yeah I was going to say yeah because um, I I do respect people who spend so much time sort of sculpting their their sounds but I, I also know a lot of people or spoken to a lot of people who design drum sounds without context you know and I've I always found yeah. found it a bit I don't know I I don't see the point from to do that myself because you never know no. in what context it's going to end up with you know so mm, absolutely um so yeah. you can design an amazing kick drum or or percussion sound or whatever but um and spend a lot of time on it but if you don't know how it's going to interact with other sounds you know you might well you might want to keep some of the variables open to a later yeah, stage yeah, you know definitely. yeah yeah, yeah. normally just uh, choose one one sound um but then just process it i mean most of the time, it just comes out of the gold baby tape sample pack, 909 bass drum, or from the drummers on, where I can have more flexibility to tweak and re- re-pitch it and so on by that. And, yeah, I think sometimes I'm laying with a sub, but 
most of the time not, and just processing the hell out of it, compression <laughs> and EQ, and trying to get it as big your, as possible. What are some, what are your, some of your favourite tricks to treat your kick then? Um, I quite like processing the kick with um, the Decimal, which is another D16 plugin, bit of Crusher, MPC60 setting, and tweaking that a little bit. And then, yeah, using PCA compressor, maybe like the I've got like a, a Vertigo emulation. And yeah, like transient designers, SPL transient designers, uh, Neve EQs, console sort of emulation EQs, um, even some wave stuff like the VEQ4, I think is really, really nice for kick drum specifically. I don't really use it for any other, any other use apart from just one or two of the bands on that um, EQ from waves. But um, yeah, I mean, just stacking up the plugins and just giving it more power. Sometimes the Vogue, little labs Vogue, if it needs to get really, really heavy sort of sub feeling. Albert. And do you? Oh, yeah, wait? That's more it. yeah. Well, it's it sounds good. I think that's probably the close that's closer to how I would do it. You know, I'm I'm too lazy to uh, <laughs> to to get stacking stuff and everything. Um, <laughs> I mean, inside drum machines, it's cool. Some of some drum machines are designed to um, to layer stuff. You know, like uh, the sounds are are uh, composed of different components, and then you can sort of uh, change the relationship and to, to sculpt them. But mm. I've never really done that inside um, inside a door or anything. Mm. I don't know why. It's just I just go with one sound and then just uh, fuck it up like you do. <laughs> mm. Make it fit. So yeah. are, are you also tweaking this the, the, the variables on, on the sound design of your drum sounds or kick sounds during yeah, the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. So you, you yeah. don't start with a kick and then make that perfect and then add the rest it's part of the process of the yeah sound we'll kind of, it will end up changing along the way most yeah. of the time i have to repitch it or change the decay or the tuning or something yeah yeah cool uh yeah maybe petra any kick secrets from your side except for the stacking yeah well yeah i usually like stack a couple of kicks and maybe pitch them differently so they give like a small melody or like a dissonance together and then uh, I like to uh, run it through my Sherman filter bank, um, and that adds often adds like a little uh, little distortion and little also a little tone to it, and uh, yeah, just and then I EQ and compress inside the box, yeah, and also uh, sometimes like for example if I make a kick that then suddenly doesn't fit the arrangement. You know, just uh, fiddle with the with the audio uh, inside, like make it shorter. And then I also actually use uh, Nikolai's uh, the blows in the microphone. As oh a yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got them from him. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you, there's a lot of um, uh, sound design going on in in the way you all work. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was wondering um, since both uh, Petra and Sugar have uh, a history of uh, music which is not techno. Um, yeah. Are there any things that you that you uh, learned in those days and from those um, other methods that you bring into your current work, like that play a role in the way you work now? 
I think for me it will only be uh, to not be afraid to uh, make a lot of noise <laughs> at first, <laughs> in a way, <laughs> because I think what I what I, I remember when I wanted to start making electronic music, I was actually quite arrogant in my mind. Uh, and I thought, okay, I've been making music for so long. And when I was listening to some of the techno that I really like, I was like, this, I mean, this cannot be hard to make this, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> seen from, uh, from a, yeah, I don't know, some sort of standpoint. And when I started um, making electronic music, I, I realized that it was just basically scrapping everything that I, I mean, of course, there's some melodic stuff and some, I, I'm, I both played drums and guitar and stuff. And of course, there's some rhythmic stuff that I've, obviously learned from playing the drums that I could use and some of the the melodic stuff from, from playing and guitar, whatever that I could also use. But I think that I had to relearn everything pretty much again, because I think that it's so much like making electronic music is so much a combination of many disciplines. It's not just playing an instrument and it's not just being a technician and it's not it's like everything combined that makes the music good. Uh, because you can write a really interesting rhythm or create a really interesting melody, but if it sounds absolutely like shit, it doesn't matter, <laughs> you know. And and but you can also be amazing at sound design or making a good mix. But if you can't the other things, then it doesn't matter either. And so I think what I often think about coming from punk it was it has more been in the context of the approach to experimentation and not being too stuck up with like okay it has to be this genre it has to sound exactly like this but be open to throw in different things and just fuck around and make a lot of noise and try to contain it afterwards mm. i'd say yeah i don't know i mean i've i've worked with uh, plenty of uh, musicians who, who play a real instrument Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I, I think the 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 thing with um, making stuff in the studio as you know and, and do like electronic music is it's a bit more open ended, you know. So mm-hmm. instead of instead of um, I mean, it, um, you're basically thinking of structure um, very late on in the process, you know. Instead of mm-hmm. you know, it's not song based or anything. It's more like. Um, setting an atmosphere finding some extent mm, aesthetic exactly. yeah fun and a vibe yeah. yeah yeah exactly yeah what about yeah, you uh, petra yeah i think actually i think a lot in structure uh, from the beginning actually mm. i think that's also something i take with me from from making like weird pop music uh like i've always i always have a sense of structure uh, right from the start and it's also like i think it's something that's just in my body now uh, that I've done it so much and I can't really get rid of it <laughs> not that I want to but it's just uh, yeah I really think a lot about where I wanted to go next uh, when I start out doing something and um, and also when I'm uh, when I record stuff I, I instantly think about uh, how this next part fits with the first one um, yeah Right, so you're kind of planning yeah. ahead and doing things uh, on purpose uh, yeah. in, instead of just letting them happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think that's also maybe comes a little bit from... I also been playing a lot of like improvised jazz music, uh, which also is a lot about uh, uh, atmosphere, but it's also 
uh, a lot about you know playing with maybe four other people and you need to play for an hour and you need to make it interesting but everything is improvised so you actually need to think about uh, like what um, a form of some sort a form of the s song or a form of the concert and I think that I think a lot about that a lot mm. yeah yeah yeah, improvisation is is way more about um, uh, letting it happen in the moment, um, yeah. but uh, also keeping in mind what already happened and sort of keep that in mind to kind of uh, choose the direction where it goes next. Yes, mm. and if you do the same thing for an hour, it's not going to be interesting. No, <laughs> even though even like even if what you're doing is like uh, the most interesting thing you've ever done, if you do it for an hour, it's not going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I I I think uh there was a cat sighting again. I'm distracted yeah. from it. Um yeah, tell me about those uh, improvisations because I'm I'm really into improvising these days. Um mm -hmm. and what I uh, what I like about it the most is that uh anything can happen, you know? So you basically start with nothing. And um, while you are playing, you are as much a spectator of what's happening as much as the creator. Mm. And um, so basically you are always in the now, you know, always in the in the moment. Mm. Um, and um, it's, uh, it's a sort of a really hyper-focused state that I really enjoy, you know. There's, there's mm. nothing you can do except for accepting what's going on and make the best of it, you know. Mm. Mm. It's a whole different, whole different way. It's, it's, it's much like DJing, but even more intense because um, mm. if you do nothing, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you're DJing, you, can, you have time to think, you know, yeah. or, uh, or even when you're playing live with electronic yeah. instruments, you can take your hands off and it will yeah. still be running. Yeah. But if you're actually improvising and, and um, you know, playing instruments live, it's, it's um, yeah, it's a real-time, in-the-moment thing. So um, yeah. is, that, is that something you, can, you, you, uh, you use still in, in, your, um, uh, in the way you make music? I mean, I uh, in the way I make music, yes. I but when I play live uh, with electronic instruments, I don't really do it. But when I when I prepare a live set, I do it a lot. Uh, I, actually, I don't really know why I don't do it live. Maybe I'm not uh, confident enough to do that. <laughs> but I've done it a lot with like acoustic instruments. But um, but yeah, I think it's something that's that's uh, like in my DNA now so when I compose that's a really big part of it or when I when I prepare a live set but when I when I'm doing a live set I have a lot planned out and not everything of course but a lot yeah so in effect you know the in your case you could say that your instruments are your other band members then yeah definitely <laughs> yeah yeah but I think uh, I think I like to keep stuff open uh, because it uh, it adds some um, some unexpectedness to to the music. That yeah. that's that's uh, always makes it uh, more interesting for me. Yeah, risk is risk is definitely a yeah. necessary uh, component if you do a live set. Yeah, you yeah. Know, if it would be too easy, um, it would get boring really really quickly. Yeah. And if if it's too difficult, you can you know dig yourself in a, <laughs> a hole and and never get out of it. But if you find the right balance between uh, 
um, accepting that there, that there is risk and yeah. uh, and having some stuff you can rely on yeah. that usually creates the most interesting things because you have to you have to work for it and people you know yeah. that comes across it keeps yeah. you more focused yeah. and yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah definitely some energy into the room oh yeah absolutely yeah mm. it's uh, it's real it's really noticeable yeah you can easily tell when when you see people play live and they are kind of you know pushing one song to the next and playing things in the same order or whatever yeah. that yeah, yeah. you know i mean you can make it interesting by mixing it live or whatever you know and, and yeah. have mm. that sort of but there needs there also always needs to be some element of improvisation added yeah. to to the thing to make it yeah. actually interesting yeah and i actually never play uh, my own songs when i play live i actually I always it's always uh, like 100 percent new material i don't uh I don't oh, you mean like music you haven't released before, just uh, stuff that you improvise with on yeah, the fly? Yeah. 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 What does your live set um, look like? Uh, Let me guess, there's a machine drum. <laughs> <laughs> two machine drums. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I haven't played live with two yet, but I want to. But yeah, uh, uh, machine drums and a mixer. Uh, actually, I just I recently made a new uh, live setup um, where I use a digital rack mixer. Which uh, is uh, really nice for uh, carrying it around. <laughs> um, What's that? A, a digital rack mixer, just a mixer. Oh, okay, okay, right. Rack, um, okay. And then I can uh, mix on the iPad, and then I can store presets so that I can load uh, different routings. And then I have uh, like a few effects that I can uh, route the different machines into, and uh, a reverb pedal, often a filter, and. Uh, um, Compressor for side chaining also, uh, and then uh, two or three uh, electron machines. That would be, uh, yeah, a live. So, so the electron machines are the are the place where you uh, have the improvisation. Yeah. Uh, or is it maybe in the mixing as well? No, not so much in the mixing. No, mm. m mostly in the machines, uh, and I can mute and unmute and um, and and make melodies on the fly. Um, oh, so then, you have the running in step in step mode, and okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because uh, all of the electron machines have their own sequences, and then I often like route a few synthesizers into a gate, and then I can, you know, play with the filter on the gate. So I have two synthesizers playing different parts uh, into one gate, and I can play with filters or reverb or delay. And uh, then I also with the digital mixer, I can route it into uh, like a physical filter and a reverb pedal. And then into, for example, the compressor, and then side chain it from the kick. Uh, so and that gives a lot of possibilities. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Have you have you played live, Luke? No, never, never. Only only DJs. Um, Would you before, want to? <laughs> I mean, have you considered it? I have considered it in the past, but don't f for the moment. Probably not. Um, maybe at some point if I develop the Chasing Circles projects more with Simon, then that could be a possibility. But, um, yeah, as, as you know, I'm not like a huge gearhead with loads of different equipment. Um, and Logic is not the best kind of DAW for kind of working on a live set um, in the computer. So, yeah, it's not really something that I've explored fully, to be honest. But... Um, yeah, I think some people do a really great job doing it. Um, you know, full hardware setups. I remember when I was um, 
really enjoying some of the stuff that Scudge were doing in their early days performing. That was, I had a kind of idea of maybe doing something similar, but yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy with DJing really. I mean, even when I DJ, I don't often play my own music. I really enjoy playing other people's music. I don't. Um, I don't blame you, man, because uh, the logging the gear around part of playing live is the. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely definitely the playing live is really nice, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about you, uh, Sugar? Playing live. Yeah, I've thought about it a lot, <clears throat> and more actually recently. But my thing has always been that my studio has been so excessive in a way, and. Uh, such a big combination of so many things uh, playing together, creating the sound that I have. Um, and well, you could you, you could just put uh, like a fifty-six channel uh, Midas on your writing. <laughs> exactly. I, I actually <laughs> joked uh, about that with uh, with Petra, saying that when we're going to play live, we're gonna we're gonna do the full uh, U two uh, <laughs> set up with uh, yeah. with a lot of big vans and uh, yeah. Hey, you could just no. say no Midas, no show, man. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You just need to not carry anything ourselves. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. No, I've I've been thinking about how I could do it, and I've been thinking about, as you said, bringing the MPC on tour. Uh, I thought about should I maybe bring my MPC on tour and a computer and a uh, small modular synth or a mono synth or whatever. But yeah, I've also thought about should I just bring the computer and a few other things, but. Every time I've thought about it, I've come to the conclusion that it, I haven't found the right way of trying to make the sound that I have in a, in a live situation. I think, of course, it could be done. I could also just commit to a smaller setup, you know, some electron machines, uh, a synth, some some effects, and, and that's it, and then just play along with that. But, but well, that has it, been... The question is, does it have to resemble what you are releasing, you know? Does it, does it need no. to be... No, it doesn't. But the, but that That's has been my point. yeah. It's a good point, and it's also what I've been thinking. But I just previously have come to the conclusion that I I don't know if I would enjoy it in the in the same way because what I enjoy is a lot in the studio is to make that the perfect uh, sound design mm. thing actually happened with with the gear that I have and I often feel that when I'm working on just a few machines at the same time I often tend to feel that I can't make it sound as full or as as good as as I wanted to mm. and of, also I've been seeing a lot of people playing live where I've been finding it uninteresting just you know bringing along a few machines and, and playing live and I've just been kind of waiting for the DJ to to get back on that sounds harsh man <laughs> but not always but I have but, but a lot of times I actually have but of course I've seen some amazing live sets out there but it's usually people who have really worked worked it out like in a way that this this works for me and to be honest I just I just haven't done that for myself yeah. um, but I think the idea is is really interesting, and I have been thinking about how how I could incorporate it in a way that would make sense for me. 
Well, you know, if you if you if you're used to being in the studio having so much options on a massive desk, you know, if if you would have like a shrunken down version of it, but still still keep the the method uh, the same, like um, I don't know, sixteen channels uh, mm. of of inputs or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, just uh, you know, there, I've seen I've seen many shows where people were basically playing um, loops of stuff and then made the whole arrangement and performance on a desk, you know, like dub style, basically, like mm. the yeah. dub guys did. And, and, and it can be really, really exciting. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's hard because uh, you never know how the room is going to sound like, you know. Uh, you can do a sound check, but then you walk in uh, at night with a room full of people and it sounds completely different. So it's, it's hard to, to be very accurate with, with yeah. um, a specific sounds. But at the same time... Um, it's part of the fun, I guess, just to make it sound right in the moment. You know, just make yeah. that make that the, the performance. Of course, yeah. and it's not it's a, it's not to sound <laughs> harsh either with with what I'm saying, but it's 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 just I've I think I've been previously caught up so much in building this this machine as I see it from where I can make the music that I want, and when I've been trying to to degrade it in a way and trying to narrow it down, I always feel that some parts is missing. But I think it, if I would want to play live at a, at a point, I think it would be a mission on its own, like trying to uh, pick and choose the right components and make a, a, a live setup situation at home and then make it work. Because, of course, yeah. it can work. Mm-hmm. I, just haven't, um, I just haven't spent enough time on it yet. Yeah, yeah I mean, these have days a- there... Sorry, go. Oh, I was going to... Ask you, do you have a different rig for your uh, live uh, show so you don't have to kind of deconstruct your studio constantly? Well, I'm, you know, the, the I've actually not played live live for quite a while. But um, what I usually do is uh, when I when I DJ or when I play uh, in a club, I usually run a tractor and I basically use it as a sampler, like a four deck uh, looper. And then I have an Octatrack on the side, which I run in step mode, uh, and I use that to program extra stuff over top. So mm-hmm. basically, I create my base, basic sort of sound and atmosphere on on uh, on the computer, and then I uh, make it sound more like me <laughs> using my drums, you know. Uh, and then I use some small pedals, you know, like some of the auto boxes, you know, to flavor the sounds a bit. Um, but um yeah so in a sense you could say that it's live you know but it is relying on uh on some djing things as well you know like always my own tracks that i'm playing um i do bring i do have a lot a lot of uh sort of stems that i uh that i make like noises or atmospheres that that are part of the library that i can choose from um, actually, I like I. What I like about that way is that um, it is first of all it is manageable, so I don't have to bring shitloads of stuff, um, and it still enables me to flavor things in in such a way that it still sounds um, m- way more sort of uh, aesthetically stylized than just DJing and relying mm-hmm. on other people's production. Uh, but I do like the the, the sort of open-ended uh, improvisation uh, way uh, that is coming from the DJ part. You know, so you could uh, you don't play down down a list. You basically got all your sounds you ever put on that laptop with you, 
and um, it's basically just you never know what's going to happen. You know, it's 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 always like, uh, yeah, you choose the parts and the ingredients uh, along the way, basically. So there's no fixed set, and you can go in all kinds of directions yeah. and be. Yeah. You can be uh, very flexible and sort of tailored toward to towards what you find in the room when you arrive. You know, so it's yeah. it's it's sort of like the a hybrid best of both worlds situation but during um the downtime during covid i i did a lot of live improvisation in the studio and i would love to continue that when when we get back uh in clubs but i'm still figuring out figuring out what to bring because uh here it's easy yeah. i could just make, you know have some some massive piece in the in my studio to improvise with but obviously that's not going to be easy to travel with so um yeah um but i mean we live in a time where pretty much there's so much choice of sort of miniature tabletop sequencers uh, you know mm. euro rex stuff um, sort of mini synths you know with uh, so i would probably assemble some of that and uh, ditch the computer altogether and just rely on on some maybe a machine drum and octatrack and and some pedals and a little synth or something something like that you know i don't know mm-hmm. I have to, on there's the, a question on, if there's a question on the octatrack because mm-hmm. that has been a big, there's big, been a big hurdle for me because I used to have it. I use it as a sequencer, but I really think that it sounds awful uh, as a sampler. Oh. How, how, do you, how, how do you do you do you use it? Uh, do you how do you do you like, like the when sound you of the explain explain? But when you play live, you can't really hear. You know, you, when you play live in a club, you can't hear all that hi-fi stuff. I mean. So no, the samples doesn't doesn't have to sound like spitze, you know. No, but it's not necessarily the hi-fi stuff. My 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 problem with the Octatrack as a sampler is that I think if you have a sample that sounds good and you play it from the Octatrack, it sounds good. But as soon as you use, or for me, as soon as I start using it as a drum machine and I start manipulating the sample, tweaking it, pitching it, using the filter, I think it's. One of the samplers that I've owned, the worst sounding of them all, actually, and I love the sequence <laughs> and I love the functionality. I, I, I've often been joking about I would love, like, uh, an emu sampler, an MPC-sounding sampler with the Octatrack interface mm. because I just think it is so amazing the way the workflow, how everything works, the fader, you can cross-fade between the settings and all this stuff. It's amazing, but I just think that the this, the sound integrity of that that piece, I'm just like, <laughs> what is going on? Uh, I don't know. It's it uh, to me, it sounds great because the the way I use it is uh, it's it's quite simple. I don't really manipulate sounds on the fly too much uh, because I've got like external effects which I can use. Um, Actually, I use the Octatrack also as an effects processor. So I've oh, got yeah. two of the channels uh, as effects uh, machines, and then they are fed by by the auxiliary sense on my mixer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have so, uh, some things assigned to the crossfader to kind of dial in the effects in a way that I think is useful for that for the moment. Uh, but as far as the drum sounds, I think they blend very nicely with uh, with the sound coming from from uh, the laptop. You know, they. Mm-hmm. It, there's, there's. I used other samplers before, and I always thought they were actually uh, detached from from the sound of Tractor because 
they sounded like a, a separate layer all the time. It, they never really blended. And with as, as soon as I started to to use the Octatrack, I thought it blended much more nicely. So um, I mean, uh, and I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't quite agree. I think the Octatrack is a very powerful sound sculpt sculpting tool. Uh, mm -hmm. The only thing is that it is so specific and. Uh, has uh, it does have its sound it does have a sound uh, yeah. and if you if you compose an entire track inside it uh, to me that sounds boring you know so yeah. it, it's all the same it's sort of all the the same sort of sound manipulation so uh, in the studio I would use it for just one sound for example and, yeah. and just really tweak you know dial it in in the way I want and, and you know attach whatever parameters to the fader to manipulate it or just to do it live and not bother with the fader at all um, and then, you know, just use it as a, a single element in, in a sort of broader palette. Yeah. Mm. And for that, it works fine. But I, I would never, uh, you know, and it's of, of course, you're limited also by the, the, li the you know, uh, limited amounts of outputs. Yeah. So even even if you if you do use the two stereo outs, you're still limited to just that, you know, so it's um, it's capable of uh, making something entirely inside, but that's not how I want to use it because yeah. I I would agree with 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 you on that that it's um, yeah it sounds a bit singular you know it you don't really get mm. the depth and the, and the difference in texture mm. even if you, you sample things with texture built in you know it, you're always going to end up with that octatrack sound and mm. um, to me that's too limited as a palette for an interesting sounding track you know so mm. uh, but I do it's it's a crazy powerful machine you know it's uh, it is indeed yeah indeed. yeah yeah, we arrived at the Octatrack debate, you know, yeah. for some reason, for some reason, it always comes up. It's a, it's a love-hate relationship. Most people, yeah. I've never, never met a single person that uses the Octatrack the same, you know, everybody has their own use and their own kind of yeah. workflow with it. Um, and, uh, and most people actually struggle with the interface more than with the sound, you know. Oh, yeah. I would love to see a sampler <laughs> uh, sounding like the old samplers that with the Octatrack interface. Yeah. Mm. Right. Really? Okay, so the interface is fine for you, it's just the sound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, any any other Octatrack users here? Uh, Luke, have you have you ever tried one? Um, not on Octatrack, but I did have a rhythm for a bit. Um, and yeah, the menu dive in, and I did, I did find when I was loading, I was mainly using it to load in my samples. And I did find that um, I wasn't quite happy with the sound um, that it produced um, and the whole process of kind of moving samples through and like menu diving and moving them over was was pretty long-winded. But um, yeah, so it wasn't for me at the end of the day, actually. You didn't gel um, it. Yeah, the electron gear is not for me, I don't think. But um, yeah, as you said, they're, they're super powerful tools um bits of equipment and you know the sequence of capabilities are you know the best out there basically um but yeah. yeah i think yeah at the end of the day that i didn't really i didn't really get on with it too well <laughs> fair enough yeah i i got rid of mine as well because um i when i was getting into it i uh blew up a tweeter of one of my main monitors with it so i oh, okay. was like oh man you know this machine is guilty <laughs> of one of the most you know terrible things that happened i i had to live with um with a, a just one tweeter on one side for like 
two months because it needed to come from oh, the UK and <laughs> yeah it ruined my uh, my Twitter anyway but um, yeah but it it uh, in theory it's it's like the one of the best drum machines out there but it's always with these with, with all of the electron gear you have to it either it either fits you or not you know it if you yeah. don't gel with it after like using it for two months forget about it if if you're not in love with it then then it's it's uh, it's pointless so yeah. um but the machine drum in you know is is that's something that's really a machine that uh i love dearly you know that that does exactly it's whatever i do on it it's it sounds it sounds amazing it's sculpting possibilities are just absolutely endless it's crazy yeah. um any track in your studio petra yeah, I have an extra track as well. Right now, it's uh, it's not up because uh, I only have I have four um, electron machines and I have four uh, power supplies and one of them broke. Oh dear! Um, yeah, so right now I'm not using it, but I'm actually I'm using the extra track uh, also live. Uh, I use it uh, um, a lot, like with the mono machine. Uh, the mono machine has uh, six outputs. So okay. I can uh, have like an output for the synthesizers, and then I have, can have an output into the Octatrack and then use effects and stuff uh, on the Octatrack and sample it and stuff. So I like it that way. But I, I never create like as you say a whole track on the Octatrack. It's mm. mostly for like adding uh, atmosphere or adding uh, like weirdness to the stuff. Um, yeah, I think it's really really good for that. Yeah, also, I think I think sorry to interrupt you, but I think it has yeah. to do with the fact that it can do so much, and you almost feel guilty just to use it for one thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it has you know a what I mean? steep learning yeah. curve. I mean, it, it also took me a while while I was like only using three <laughs> three things in it, and then like just slowly being like, okay, there's also this, and then actually kind of feeling guilty for not do for not using maybe. 60% of the machine <laughs> mm. and then being like am I really doing this right if I can't use the whole thing but I mean if it works then it works and then you can always add uh, some stuff I mean that's also how a music studio works right you don't yeah. start out by having like a full uh, a full studio you start out with uh, one piece of gear and then you add on like uh, over the time and that's how you learn to make music that for me as well yeah um, yeah yeah, I, I, it took me, I don't know, I, I decided I wanted it and I, I spent the, the necessary time with the manual to get my head around it, yeah. you know, because it's, it's one of the machines that you can just not operate fully if you don't yeah. really dive into that. Yeah. And then and then I I kind of forgot about like 80% yes. of what it yes, can do. I did that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, and and I decided okay this uh, okay it can do so much uh, let it just be uh, like a Swiss army knife sitting around yeah. the studio and uh, when I really need one of the functionality uh, aspects of it in some uh, circumstance I'll, I'll i'll go for it and and yeah. just not feel guilty about yeah, forgetting yeah, yeah. what it all you know what it can do more you know so. yeah i've also <laughs> i mean very often i come back to the manual to just be because yeah and i'm like okay i want this and i know it can do it but i just don't know how and then i yeah. just spend a couple of hours with the manual and then, and then yeah it's it's actually i mean it's not that hard if you if you put some time into it. No, and it's also it, it there is this sort of electron way of doing things and and yes. uh, sometimes by just tapping things and just looking for it you you can yeah. find it, you know. Yeah. Uh yeah. but but it's not uh, you you need to interact with it almost every day, I guess, to yeah. to really fully 
uh, know your way around blindly, you know, to have yeah, everything go by muscle memory. That is that it just takes, you know, ages before you get there. And yeah, uh, yeah some people can do that because they it's their main machine. But uh, yeah. if you have it on the side as to do occasional stuff, then you yeah. always run into situations where you think, oh shit, how do I do this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, Cool. Um, oh, well, listen, people, we've been uh, uh, talking for almost two hours. Usually we do uh, around two hours, but um, at the end, we give everybody uh, a little, uh, you know, time to, uh, to, to plug anything they're working on or want to share with the audience. Maybe uh, give one more shout out to the people on Twitch. Uh, if there's anything they want to ask us or uh, want to know from us, this is your time. Uh, so, um, um, yeah, and in the meantime, maybe I'll, I'll start with Luke. Um, anything coming up, Luke? Anything uh, yeah. on your label? Yeah, yeah. So, just released um, an Agent Orange re-release, which was on Loop Records in 1995, Warm Love, Old Carrie, Lekabush Alias. And that's just come out with a remix for myself. And then next week, um, launching a new label called Positive Source. And Sugar has a track on that, along with Neva, um, O Professional, and Alan Backdrop. And yeah, a few more things in the works. Um, haven't quite announced it yet, but maybe I'm good to do it now. But <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> Alpha Tracks is uh, going to do a new record. I think that's going to come up in August. And yeah, there's some more stuff in the pipeline. Another positive source record in September or October. And yeah. So yeah, I've been working quite a lot on the label. And actually that's more or less taken my main focus. And just trying to sort of expand it and open it outwards and yeah, re-integrate this uh, new sub-label as well that I'm running with my partner, Philippa. Awesome. Uh, I see. I see. Saunders uh, uh, posting the your Bandcamp page, so mm. I would encourage people to have a look there. Um, thanks, man. Um, Petra, anything yeah. you want to share? Yeah, I have uh, an album coming up uh, on uh, Lobster Theremin, uh, or an, an EP with a remix from uh, Nina H. Cool. And uh, yeah, I have. We have just almost finished the record with uh, with Sugar. And I think that's about it right now. Yeah. So any any plans for for a release? When when is the, this project coming out? Do you have any ideas? Uh, I and hope where? like end of the summer is yeah on Lobster Theremin. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice one. Um, so I hope Sanders keeping up with <laughs> posting mm -hmm. the links. Otherwise, you can just uh, post it in the in the private chat where we can uh, where people can find you, and then so, Sander will. Uh, oh, okay. 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 Cool. Uh, Sugar, anything you want to share? Yeah, I've got an EP coming out on uh, Bassiani's uh, record label in September and a whole bunch of stuff coming out on my own label, including the EP uh, together with Petra, an EP I made with DJ Bell and uh, EP with um, D-Dan. So there's a, there's a bunch of stuff in the, in the, in the pipeline. And um, and uh, the next up on the on my label is gonna be this any an album actually of uh, Copenhagen artist a new up uh, yeah 
how do I how do I explain this? It's not techno. It's uh, experimental mix of electronica, house music, and uh, ambient stuff, and it's really amazing. And I'm looking much forward to putting it out. Sounds great, man. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, all three of you, thanks a lot for uh, for um, being on. Uh, really yeah. enjoyed uh, yeah, chatting with you guys. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Super nice. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so let me just end by saying that we uh, have a, a Discord server where uh, where all the nerds hang out and uh, continue the conversation uh, on uh, you know everything we talk about here, like. Uh, studio nerds all over there so have a look there it's a really nice place really nice community um and the other thing is we have a patreon page if you like this uh podcast or whatever it's called um you can support us there or you can get uh sound sound banks actually the most the most recent one uh is uh a shitload of uh drum hits done with an sds8 uh, running running through an Akai MFC42 filter. I think that I'm saying that correctly. So it's a bit. It's a collection of really crunchy, really crunchy noises and uh, kick drums and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's out there for you to get. Um, so yeah, the other thing we have is masterclasses available there. Um, so if you want to get some help getting your productions to the next level, uh, have a look there. Uh, Sonda should be posting the link now. So. Um, so yeah that's pretty much it from my side Um, thanks again everybody and thanks for everybody who is watching this on Twitch Um, yeah good evening bye bye thank you thank you ciao